uh, having led a number of uh, investigations in-house that kind of cross a number of different paths. Um, our practice today includes representing boards of directors on a host of compliance issues. And as I said, those often include anti-corruption and, and fraud, uh, government contracts as well. Um, um, but we know, you know, having dealt with these issues from a, from a corporate perspective that uh, I, from afar, the employment field um, and, and employment investigations uh, share many of the traits that we see often in anti-corruption and fraud. Um, a corporate harassment scandals, of course, have uh, uh, dominated the recent news, and the problems are not new, but their effects have taken on, as we say in the article, a new permanency. And helping companies deal with that, helping specifically boards of directors um, uh, kind of navigate this field was one of the reasons why we wrote this article. Uh, we noticed that the uh, the discourse on solving the harassment problems uh, that have made the news is focused on treating them as employment issues and not core compliance issues. But one of the things I've heard you say, Tom, in, in some of your past uh, podcasts um, is that at, at, at its root, a lot of the um, harassment scandals are, uh, uh, you know, compliance uh, issues having gone bad. And as my colleague uh, Aisha will explain, we believe that this approach ignores uh, that much of the work um, uh, that, that corporate America has done and the boards of directors have done in, in the fraud and, and anti-corruption area can be equally applied to um, harassment cases. Right. And Tom, I think, you know, the reason we sort of wrote this article is because it uh, provides some, a blueprint for boards to sort of think about this and what and gives them ideas of what they can do about it. I mean, in the uh, fraud and anti-corruption uh, context, um, compliance, you know, programs are pretty robust. And these, this article is making the point that you can apply those same concepts and principles. Um, and, you know, previously these, uh, this, these issues of sexual harassment and misconduct um, we're really just treated as a as a litigation risk, and we can see based on you know all of the Me Too movement and the scandals um, that that just doesn't work, and companies need to really elevate the problem. So, has the uh, consequences of the problem changed? Meaning, has it become a higher uh, risk factor for companies, or uh, has something else changed which led to the board needing to take a more active role in this particular, uh, what I think we now agree is a compliance issue, or at least a partly a compliance issue? Well, you know, to Aisha's point, um, in the past, I, these, these issues have been viewed as litigation risks. Um, and litigation risks that were uh, constrained by the applicable uh, statute of limitations, right? Um, having spoken with both um, independent directors about these issues and uh, general counsel about these issues, um, the direct answer, frankly, to your question is, yes, the nature of it has changed because it's no longer just a litigation risk. Um, you know, 
now cases are going back to 10 years, maybe sometimes even 20 years, uh, and, and looking at allegations that, that came up at those times, obviously well past the statute of limitations, um, but in the public eye, still very actionable. And um, it, it, looking at the effect of them, obviously the um, it, it has not only a, a, a monetary risk, but also a, a fundamental brand risk. Um, and over the you know last year and change, we believe that that has become a, a pretty much an, an acute uh, risk. Preston, let me pick up on your last point, which I think I got this, wrote this down right, a fundamental brand risk. And that really is a shift. That's an increase in a risk that was certainly viewed as a risk at one level. But when you say something is now a risk that is a fundamental brand risk that literally could drive a company to bankruptcy, that's an entire different level of risk. Uh, one of the things that intrigued me in your article was you said that boards of directors certainly have a, a part of importance of tone at the top and understand that. But you guys take that uh, only as a starting point, a starting point for boards to look at not only the specific Me Too risk we're discussing here, but also risk on a more holistic and indeed strategic level. How do you guys communicate that change to a board, to a board that has you know, hummed along, has uh, only looked long-term strategic, may have set or approved a tone, but now you're asking them really to take on another, sub, another set of risk management tools? Well, I mean, we would say that, you know, this is sort of hand-in-hand hand with other um, risk management tools that the company or has in, or boards have already um, had in place. And, you know, boards are critical in helping a company set and drive down a culture of compliance, and uh, they need to be actively uh, engaged in oversight of a company's compliance uh, program. And now sexual misconduct sort of needs to be folded into that um, existing compliance program and should be part of a corporation's uh, corporate strategy. Tom, one of the things we're, we're um, obviously mindful of is the difference between the board's role and, and the role of the C-suite, right? So um, one is day-to-day -day operations, which just goes to the C-suite. The other is oversight, as I should mention. Um, and um, uh, we're not asking the board to get into day-to-day -day operations, just as we don't ask that. Um, no one asks that, not even, I don't think, uh, uh, federal authorities ask that the board get involved in day-to-day -day day -day operations when it comes to anti-corruption or fraud. Um, what, what is apparent, though, is that um, the, these issues do need uh, to, to receive board level of at attention when um, they are the types that we've seen in the news. And they should receive board level attention be well before there is even a prospect of them hitting the news. There needs to be in place the mechanisms for boards to understand what culture do we have in this company. Uh, you know, are there open doors uh, for employees to complain? no matter what level the, the alleged harasser is. Um, so, so those are the, uh, the types of things that are, are important. 
So let me ask a couple of structural questions. Uh, have you thought through or have you advocated uh, which board committee or uh, the board as a whole uh, should handle sort of the me too, if I could call it the me too uh, risk uh, management at this point? How would you guys uh, uh, advise a board on that? So there may not be necessarily a, a, a right or wrong answer. Um, the key is that the board exercise some level of oversight, as we said, into the company's compliance with uh, applicable laws, here's sexual harassment law, and hold management accountable. I'll repeat that because it's so key. Hold management accountable for implementing a culture of compliance. Um, I would say mechanically, um, with our experience, um, my personal experience with boards, um, uh, the, the key, of course, is that the committee needs to keep other board members informed. You know, not all boards are formed the same. There are some that are much larger than others. So to say that an entire board needs to have equal buy-in, equal, um, uh, equal response, e I guess equal um, actionable uh, uh, responsibility for some of the issues that we're talking about may be impractical. Uh, and it may be the case that really it's the audit committee, right, who's responsible for looking at uh, the company's controls uh, that should focus on these issues. Uh, the audit committee, having already been uh, familiar with um, in the investigations process, um, probably before they were even made um, board members. Um, so that if, if there needs to be a home, the audit committee would be that would be the home. Um, and if you think about just the extension of it, investigations of these matters, if counsel needs to be retained for an investigation, uh, the audit committee or, or risk committee should oversee that investigation. How about in terms of reporting? And, and let me preface this question. And, and when I say reporting, reporting up to the board. But let me preface the question with the following. My biggest aha moment around Me Too was uh, sort of early last fall when um, kind of the first scandal, it, it really dawned on me what you started off with, Preston, that this has evolved into a real compliance issue. And I saw the compliance response as a critical response, certainly at the tactical level. But now uh, what you guys have put forward is there needs to be a compliance response at the strategic level led by the board. Who should be uh, reporting to the board uh, from y'all's perspective, you all's perspective, a good Southern term, uh, on um, <laughs> to educate the board and help them plan and strategically manage this risk? Should it be the general counsel? Should it be the head of HR? Should it be the chief compliance officer? Perhaps the head of internal controls? A combination or all? Or what would you guys suggest at this point? I, I think a powerful tool could be um, hiring or using an existing chief human rights officer, uh, CHRO, and you know who's, who's you know, responsible for finding, retaining, and unleashing an organization's talent. Um, and this person can look to making sure that um, that people who are hired in um, in powerful positions are, are you know are vetted and um, are also in line with the, with carrying the company's culture. Um, and this person would also be more responsible for making sure that, you know, women are represented at all levels and that there's a, you know, an eye towards diversity. Um, and 
having a CHRO report directly to the board sort of signals the importance of this person uh, to the company. I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm going to go so far as to suggest you you guys need to write a separate paper on that topic, but I'll go into that part later. Uh, that's a great idea and a great point uh, to have that level of visibility, but as you guys suggest, have that level of visibility at the board where everyone can see that and everyone can see the importance the company places, not just on diversity, but although that's certainly a part of it, but also fair process, also anti-retaliation. And that's that's really a great suggestion. I hope we can further that dialogue. I'd like to turn now to uh, what I think is just an incredible resource you guys put into your article. And uh, near and dear to my heart, you looked at the uh, Department of Justice's 2017 Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs document uh, the DOJ released and uh, took that as a starting point to provide additional questions tailored to prevent, detect, and respond to sexual harassment that I think are, are excellent questions for a board to start with. So I wanted to maybe go through some of these individually, and this may sound more tactical, but I'm, I really saw this after I read it a couple of times as a very strategic approach that the board could take. So I was wondering if you guys might be able to start off by explaining uh, the role of the board in risk assessments, but tailored to the Me Too reputational risks? Well, with sort of, with a risk assessment, you know, compliance officers um, can, use it, can use it to create an effective compliance program. I mean, a risk assessment helps a compliance officer understand a company's risk profile um, and also consider its business model. And um, in order to sort of tailor a program, you must understand the company. Uh, in sort of a lot of these scandals that come about, I think that um, sometimes the people at the top didn't really know that the, the culture that they were dealing with, um, the company's larger culture, and that was a huge problem. And so this would be something that would be considered in a risk assessment. And one you know way to approach this is, uh, trying to figure out what whether your whether there are where the risks are in your company, you can conduct you know management interviews to assess commitment to compliance and what the tone is. You can conduct interviews of HR and uh, employee relations related personnel to understand company policies and procedures. You can conduct employee surveys or small discussion groups. Um, review hotline reports if a hotline is already in place review investigations that have taken place previously and, you know, uh, paying close attention to the process and the resolution, um, reviewing disciplinary records, and just really getting an understanding of where existing risks are, where risks um, may sort of come about in the future and shaping your program, compliance program. Tom, one of the things, one of the things that, uh, that the, the steps that I just read, I think help a board do and help a board get through is the problem of, of managing up. So for example, if in some of the scandals that we've seen, um, the uh, CEO um, or other uh, key employees successfully managed up and the board never looked down, never looked at, for example, the tone or the hotline reports or investigations that happened in the past, and the board could really feel that everything was fine. 
and and it's a it, it's a little bit of uh, kind of peeking under the covers, if you will, um, seeing what's really there, looking under the hood. So, uh, in terms of uh, training and communication, uh, what are some of the questions that you would suggest uh, a board ask? Well, I think the board should really, you know, understand what policies are in place. That's sort of the first step in the process um, to make sure that there is a clear policy um, that sets the tone um, of the company. And then also uh, making sure that every employees at every level are being trained um, and understand. And, you know, the training shouldn't be sort of a check-the-box process. Um, it should be it should be interactive uh, and make sure that sort of every employee and uh, is reached um, and maybe even um, sort of have a different training for employees and leadership, which focuses on leadership also setting the same expectations and uh, and a zero tolerance policy um, and also training leadership on how to respond to incidents on how to make sure that retaliation doesn't take place on um, making sure that employees know that uh, if they if they come forward with complaints that they will be heard and they will be investigated um, Tom one thing when it comes to training and I think that the uh, compliance field is definitely embracing this I've seen it as a compliance monitor um, uh, over some some re- harassment issues, uh, in this case, race harassment issues, but um, training has to be relevant to the workplace, has to be relevant to the type of work that is done, um, going in and, and training, you know, uh, truckers, for example, on the proper use of email, right, or, or vice versa, uh, employees who work in an office on the proper things to say on the shop floor. Obviously, those don't work. So, so you have to make sure that the training is dynamic, as I should explain, and also that it's relevant. So, unfortunately, we're uh, getting near the end of our time, but you had one phrase in the article that uh, I thought was incredibly important, and I would really like to, to end with this just to emphasize to me how important I think it is. And it was a phrase that you guys call the echo from the bottom. And you actually didn't contrast it, but you said the echo from the bottom is critically important and must match the tone from the top. I, I think I don't think many boards think about the uh, the tone from the bottom, uh, what people at, on the front lines are hearing or thinking or reporting, and how would you guys suggest the board start to inform itself of what the echo from the bottom is? Um. Well, one of the ways is, is doing actually the assessments that I should mention. Um, for example, is yours a company that does uh, uh, 360 surveys? Uh, is yours uh, a company that um, gives employees a voice? Uh, if you happen to be organized, what are you hearing from the unions? Um, understanding, you know, obviously we use the word bottom as, not not literally, right? Um, um, but meaning the, the employees who are um, who don't have as much contact with the board. Um, 
uh, figuring out some way to listen to them, right, and making sure that the people who manage them uh, truly buy into the tone from the top, um, and that they don't—the the tone is not painted as just some ivory tower notion, but in, it is instead something that's important to everybody in the organization. So uh, I wanted to ask if, um, I'm, uh, with your permission, of course, I'll link to this article in the show notes, but if uh, any of the listeners uh, wanted uh, more information on this topic, uh, where could they go? Well, thank you, Tom, and, and we certainly would uh, appreciate any any contact that we can, uh, any calls uh, that anyone has or, or, or emails. They can reach us at Miller and Sevalier, um, um at uh, our email address uh, uh, or at our general number, which is uh, 202-626-5800. This has been great, guys. I've been visiting with Preston Pugh and uh, Aisha Hussein at Lawyers at Miller & Chevalier on a fabulous article they've written entitled A More Effective Way for Corporate Boards to Respond in a Me Too World. Every board of director needs to read this, and frankly, every senior manager and corporate compliance officer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Across the Board. Across the Board is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast, as it would help get the word out about this most unique podcast focusing on boards of directors, corporate governance, and strategic management of risk. I hope you'll join us again for another episode soon of Across the Board. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.